Welcome to the Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this episode, I'm in Montreal to meet Antoine Emile, President and CEO, New Look Vision Group, an international executive with over 25 years in the eyeglass industry. Antoine shares his vision for the category and has over 400 retail stores. Leveraging a solid financial foundation and innovative category-leading technology, New Look continues to expand their market presence and see their way through to growth despite the limitations of the COVID era. We, you know, we were thinking, oh, maybe 2022 we'll run the tests. Uh, we'll probably have to convince, you know, quite many people and, mm. and, and have a successful test and so on. Uh, well, we were given the opportunity, two fantastic opportunities. One was all our retail teams were consigned home. Uh, they were not forbidden to come to the store. They could come to the store. We were just not allowed to have any customers there. So it was a... The, the best training rounds one could ever hope for. Um, and secondly, we don't have to convince anybody. Let's listen in now. Antoine, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? Very well. Thank you. I'm, I'm the thankful one. feel very privileged talking to you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I'm, I'm really excited to learn about you and about your business. Uh, I've been, I'm a fan from afar, so to speak. Um, I don't know as much about your business as I'd like to, so it's a real great opportunity for me. Why don't we start at the beginning? Tell us about yourself, your background, and your role at New Look Vision. Uh, I've, been, I've been an optical person uh, all my professional life, actually. I became one by chance. Um, I, um, I was born and raised in Europe, wanted to um, you know, see the world and found my first job in the US in an optical lens company mm. and um, in, in marketing, although I had a, a finance background. And I, I liked the mission. I, um, I liked the engineering challenge and I liked the complexity of the business model. So uh, <laughs> I stayed on. I'm, I'm not alone, though. Um, most people in the optical industry tend to be lifers. Um, hmm. not necessarily in the same company, but remaining in the industry. And I feel this is because the, the mission is strong to, um, to, to provide people with, with vision, uh, is, is a very noble task and, and it can be done at volume, which, uh, brings an everyday satisfaction, um, to, to all of us in the industry. I think we, we go home at night, you know, feeling that we've, we've done a lot of good in the day. My role at New Vision Group, well, as as the as the CEO, I guess you know, one would describe it as uh, answering to shareholders on, on the use of their money. Uh, but in um, I, I would say in a less prosaic way, probably I I would say I, I choose the endeavors and I choose the people, and and that's that's really what the role is about. Right. So, uh, and and we're going to get into this later on. Leadership in the COVID era, leadership before the COVID era, never easy, always interesting. And so, I'm really keen to get your insights about how to lead in in such a different time that we're in. But let's talk about new new look vision itself, the the origin story, and where how you go to market. Uh, you know, number of stores, and and then what makes you lots of competition, lots of people uh, who offer uh, the product that you offer broadly speaking. So what makes you different, but let's start, just give us the basics and then talk about what makes you different. The, the basics, even uh, before your vision group, maybe a few words on, on the optical industry, because it's mm-hmm. not a very big one. It's, um, it's about the size of skincare as a, as a worldwide industry. Uh, and it will explain a lot of what I guess we'll, we'll be discussing in the rest of the podcast. 
Um, so optical is um, is demographic driven. Basically, ninety percent of the population after the age of sixty five wear some form of vision correction. Um, so there, there's a very significant demographic tailwind. Uh, and we, that has been with us for the past 40 years. And it's, it's not forecasted to abate anytime soon. It's also a business which has fairly significant barriers to entry uh, because there's a medical part to it. We, we operate at a crossroad of healthcare and retail. Mm-hmm. And the, the medical part is regulated. So we, we partner or employ ophthalmologists, optometrists, um, and, and opticians. And obviously, access to those professional resources is a barrier to entry. Now, um, Neuro Vision Group is the largest Canadian optical retailer by, by far. We have uh, 400, more than 400 locations across the country, each with a clinic and a store. Um, and we started from uh, about 70 stores eight years ago in, in the province of Quebec. We, we operate in three professional segments, ophthalmology, optometry, and optician. We are vertically integrated, which means we make our lenses, and we assemble about 3,000 pair of glasses uh, every day. Wow. And we we entered the U.S. market in 2020, actually. <laughs> in, uh, Good in timing. Early, in early March 2020, yes. <laughs> Oh, that's great timing. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, thankfully, it was in the. It is in the very high end segment, which is which is a segment we we love in Canada. We we've accumulated experience in, um, and and I say very very fortunately because um, when we will get to discuss the post COVID performance, mm-hmm. obviously luxury has been performing extremely well. So mm-hmm. although we had a big, it started with a big fright. <laughs> yeah, it, it is now drawing a big smile. So okay. take. Take me back. Take me back to those days for a minute. You know, since since we're talking about March and April of 2020, what 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 was first on your mind? I've talked to executives like yourself who said, you know, their first thought was, you know, it went from worrying about liquidity in the business to keeping their people safe to, okay, we're going to get through this, but how do we how do we adjust the business? What was that time for you? Take me back to the moment when you realized the magnitude of what we were about to you know, the magnitude of the COVID era? I th- I'll start with, with um, maybe an, an anecdote. It's, it really took place the day um, Edward Biner, whom we had just acquired in the U.S., who's a, a close friend and a very long-time relationship, was actually in Montreal uh, fi- finalizing everything. And, and we went to, to dinner, and we were having a very, very nice non-business conversation and then our, our cell phone respective cell phones started ringing and that those were our store people uh you know t- telling us well the, the college of optician or the college of optometry is actually asking us to shut down um so i, I think that that night it really downed on us right. and um and followed I, I would say five weeks of um <laughs> of you know f- find, finding the way and and guiding our people through and we, I, I thought we we should go by three principles. And the first one was was participation. It, it was very clear that we had a very big role to play in uh, stemming the spread of the pandemic by uh, closing stores, mm-hmm. uh, as many stores as we could, um, short of completely 
cutting society off from IKEA. So we, we kept 10, about 10% of our stores open for that. Uh, but closing the stores, closing the office, uh, offices, closing the factory, all that seemed very important in those early days. We needed to get people home um, and, and just not exposing anybody. The, the second principle that, that came right after was, was really protection. Uh, so protection of our people who stayed out, protection of the company, obviously. Uh, we Thankfully, we went into the crisis fairly lean. Mm. Uh, so we knew where every dime was, uh, and that made cash conservation uh, a fairly quick action. I mean, we, you know, we didn't have to, to roam the drawer to, to scrap the last penny. Right. You, um, you, knew, we, you knew the levers. You knew yes. well the levers to pull, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we knew where it was. And then, of course, um, started um, the discussion with our uh, lenders and, and our landlords. <laughs> uh, and, and even before that, protecting our employees from a financial standpoint. So we, we implemented a salary um, protection program uh, even before the government said anything about uh, what became CERB. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we committed on day one not to send anybody home with less than than seventy five percent of their normal income, so that at least they, they they could be home and taking care of their loved ones without worrying about how much um, cash they would have in the bank. And then well, you, the, you said you had four hundred stores, but and and you manufacture in total. How many people work for your company? About twenty eight hundred. Mm, okay, lots. Yeah, and then. Um, and then the, the third principle was was responsibility. So that, that translated into keeping 10% of the clinics open um, for uh, anybody who needed um, emergency access to either eye care, um, typically an optometrist, or eyewear. I mean, even stuck at home, people do break their glasses yeah. <laughs> and can't function without. Yeah. Um, and we felt we needed to be there to, to, to replace those. We also launched a program we called um, Guardian Angels, and that was a pledge to replace broken eyeglasses for uh, frontline health workers within 24 hours. And if they had no valid insurance coverage, we would cover the cost of replacement. So hospital personnel, um, ambulance services, um, that, 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 sort of, that sort of thing. And in the, in the span of uh, three months, we, we replaced about 5,000. Glasses. What a great way. initiative! And then, um, and then we retooled the factory as part of responsibility. Also, we, we retooled the factory and, and started manufacturing safety eyeglasses, uh, which are obviously needed in um, settings like hospitals, uh, um, um, elderly care home, uh, that sort of environment, um, and that are needed with prescription for those who need, who need vision correction because. Putting a pair of safety glasses on top of a pair of prescription glasses uh, under a visor <laughs> yeah. in a warm environment, you're, you're really compounding the difficulties to see well. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, very comprehensive. So let's let's take a step back. So before in the before time, you know, if you and I were having this conversation in 2019, what were the what were the strategies and that you were Make, what were the strategies you were pursuing to make you successful? It is, on the one hand, it, it, it can be a crowded market, right? There's, there's new entrants uh, who have new business models. 
Um, what what is it that that led to your success and and to the growth? What are the kind of one or two or three key pillars of what makes your company successful? I, I, th- I think what sets us apart and 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 eventually made us successful are three things really. The, the external growth model, we've, we've grown by acquisition mostly from 70 to 400 stores. And our external growth model is very much based on people, which means that we, we don't go uh, by geography. We, we don't unfold the map and say, you know, we want to be in, in, in Vancouver, in Toronto and in Los Angeles. Uh, we go wherever we find amazing uh, operation teams. And this has taken us to, I would say, unexpected geography. We, we obviously acquired uh, Vogue Optical in uh, 2013, mm-hmm. um, which has a, a very strong position in Atlantic Canada. Um, that was our first acquisition. That was a, a big acquisition. We, we paid almost the, the same value as New Look itself. Uh, in a geography that didn't have the best economic fundamentals as far as statistics were concerned. But we found there a, an amazing op- operation team committed to stay, committed to operate, and committed to develop. So uh, probably that that's exter- that acquisition model of ours uh, has underpinned a big part of the success. The second one is... We are we operate a very decentralized organization, which means that acquired business units retain their brand, retain their executive team, retain their culture. Um, they're really empowered uh, by everything we we bring in 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 the back office, in the outlook, in the financial resources, uh, and they're free to compete in the market, including with other of uh, of our divisions. So oh, there's the sister companies. Um, and I find this absolutely critical to maintain uh, the identity, the motivation, and, um, and, and, and really the, the sparks in the team. Mm. And the, the third one is, is innovation. Uh, one of the biggest motivation to increase the size of the company was that we wanted to be able to invest in innovation, uh, in the technology that would take us forwards and increase our differentiation and that's basically to digitalize the customer journey so that's our investment in uh, in omnichannel mostly in in scanning in virtual try on uh, in order to be able to take part of the customer journey outside of the store mm-hmm. and uh, as importantly to be able to deliver or to take optical measurement remotely uh, the, the big barrier today in dispensing glasses uh, without seeing the patient is the ability to take precise measurement, uh, without which glasses just don't work. Um, and that we, we were very motivated in, in innovating in that field, investing in that field, and breaking that, that technical barrier, which we have done. So in, is it fair to call – it doesn't sound like you're a holding company. You're more, you're more engaged in that, but you provide kind of shared services and direction for the different companies, how do you? How did you lead, or how are you leading, in the this the time that we're in, uh, amongst your peers or amongst uh, the companies? As you say, they operate as as individual brands and individual operating units. But how do you pull it all together when, on any given day, we don't know if the stores are going to be closed or open, or you know, 
governments are pumping the brakes or you're, you know, where you're, how has your leadership style changed, if at all? Uh, or maybe it's, it was perfect for these times. Could you speak to that for a little bit? Um, I, I, I would never think it, it was perfect in any circumstances. <laughs> I think uh, you, you lead, a one, one leads with, with one heart and, and with clarity. Uh, in those in those COVID days, in the early days of the pandemic, mm. in the shutdown, uh, clarity was absolutely essential, including right. clarity about the fact that I had absolutely no idea how long the <laughs> shutdown would last. You're right. <laughs> I had a fairly good confidence in how long we could hold out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there again, th- there was crystal clarity with the, the ex- within the executive group. That you know we we could hold out a number of quarters, but if that were to last you know more than a year, we would probably run run into <clears throat> a shortage of cash. Yeah. Um, and and leading with the heart, I, I think, is the translation of of um, the, the love and care for our people. I mean, we we obviously had a very large number of people consigned in their home. Um, we didn't know for how long. Uh, we needed to keep them engaged. Uh, we fairly quickly take the opportunity of, of that shutdown to train them, uh, to inspire them, and then to bring them back early in the stores um, to train on a new model. Because d- during the pandemic, basically, I would say we, we had a three-month complete shutdown. The first month was really spent to address the crisis, address the three principles I, I spoke about earlier. And then really we, we came to a point where we felt uh, about a month in we, we and I, when I say we, I mean the exec team came to a point where we felt the company was secure. Uh, the employees were secured and it was now time to turn towards the future and imagine what reopening will have to look like whenever that would be. The only thing we didn't know was the date. Uh, but we started rethinking the customer journey, rethinking the store, and obviously inventing uh, the health and safety protocols, uh, which obviously were going to be a big yeah. part yeah, of yeah. how we would reopen. Um, and we, we, we were, obviously we were fortunate because we, we had a very strong restart, which that sort of thing never, never comes without a dose of, of fortune. Yeah. Um, we had been thinking for a while actually about operating by appointment. Um, and we, you know, we were thinking, Oh, maybe 2022 we'll run the tests. Uh, we'll probably have to convince, you know, quite many people and, yeah. and, and have a successful test and so on. Uh, well, we were given the opportunity two fantastic opportunity. One was all our retail teams were consigned home. Uh, they were not forbidden to come to the store. They could come to the store. We were just not allowed to have any customers there. So it was a the, the best training round one could ever hope for. Um, and secondly, we didn't have to convince anybody because when we, when we reopened, that was the only way we were allowed to operate. Um, so we, we, we seized on that opportunity and, and leveraged it. Uh, the other one is... After the first months of really securing everything, uh, we had quite a bit of resource because we can't, we kept everybody on full time. We had quite a bit more resource than we would have had had we been operating normally. 
And we really dedicated those available resources to speeding up our omnichannel implementation. Um, the, the, the facial scan, uh, which gives us a very rich 3D image ear to ear, uh, on which we can overlay frames for the virtual try-on and take measurements as precise as in stores. And as soon as we reopened, we deployed those tools and we, with a day one application, which was we were able to take optical measurement from six feet away uh, from the patient when our competition was still with the ruler uh, that the optician has to hold on the mm. face of the customer. Mm. So in, in, a, in a time when not, not only it, it was the right thing to do, the, the distanciation, but it was also um, important for the staff uh, from a safety standpoint and extremely important to customers. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody really wanted to be less than six feet to, yeah. from somebody else. Uh, that, that gives us uh, a great advantage, first, in the comfort it brought to our store team, um, and, and second, obviously, was appreciated by customers. Is there anything that you're going to leave behind? So you've talked about how you accelerated things, pilots became full rollouts, and... Um, uncertainty became, you know, uncertainty became uh, strategy. Now, is there anything you're going to leave behind with your experience in the past 18 months? For example, some executives have said, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to move to a hybrid model of my head office staff now, as opposed to uh, all the time in the in the office. Is there, is there anything that you, you find you discovered that was inefficient or that you're thinking about differently? from that perspective? I, I think we will leave behind self-imposed limitations we had before. Mm. Um, coming to the office, for example, <laughs> as you just mentioned, was, was a big one. Uh, but but it, it extends beyond the commuting and beyond the in-person meeting and all that. We, we were self-limiting ourselves by thinking we could only recruit in Montreal, where right. our head office is. Um, not true. Not true anymore. Uh, it, it actually was not true before either, but we just didn't have the guts to think it was. Well, it's, all, it's um, always been, you know, it's interesting, right? Because it's always been possible. I mean, the yes. technology hasn't changed. It's the culture that needed to change, particularly I find at the senior level, right? Be, you know, can you have a senior um, executive or leader in a department that isn't physically in the office? That That's a big change, right? Precisely. It, it, precisely. It, it was always possible. We just didn't have the guts to do it. Mm. Um, now, obviously, it's 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 almost like a like an evidence now. Um, so th so that's one. The other one is is obviously um, travel. I mean, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we we're all looking forward not being frequent flyers uh, of of any sort of qualification in in the future. I, I think uh, th there was really too much of it before. Uh, we we will still visit every store. We tend to we we plan to acquire. I, th I think that's a very good principle. But beyond that, um, I, I think we can cut probably a third of what we were doing before. Wow! Um, wow! I mean, you and you and I, we've probably lived through the same thing. I mean, we heard that after nine eleven that, that, but then it, it it quickly in three or four years was record travel. Do you think it's going to stick this time around? I think it will. Yes. I mean, uh, if I, I was I was uh, based in Asia in nine, uh, on on nine eleven. It did not affect Asian travel 
uh, one billion. Right. Yeah. Um, th th this is a worldwide, very long cap mm. on travel. Yeah. Uh, we we have been doing business in the past year uh, with zero travel and and pretty good business actually. Uh, and even the things we thought we were not going to be able to do, which you know, to to find that rare supplier of, of new vendors, new, or whatever, new frame, yeah. that, that sort of thing, um, has not been really impeded, <laughs> just to be honest. So um, yes, I, I definitely think this time it will stick. Well, it, it's it's funny. I, I don't think of it until I start talking about it. But uh, you know, I, I I travel the world speaking and and visiting. I mean, I would you know I'd be on an airplane. 20, 30 times a year. It's, it's, it's been a year since I've been on an airplane. It's really phenomenal. In some ways I don't miss it. In some ways I do. I mean, I want the ability, but, uh, I'm hearing more and more executives like yourself saying, you know what, we need to fly. We need to visit our stores. That's a big constraint, right? You need to see the people, but maybe not as much to, in from a, a sourcing perspective. Okay. So that's a great observation. Let's, let's talk about the future. What's, what's next. I, I think you're, you've got some corporate structure news coming up uh, and and for the listeners as well you know the retailers listening um you know again there's more competition than less and and how are you what are your plans for moving forward and how are you thinking about that um, first I'll, I'll address the, the corporate news uh we we're, we're a public company uh we, we're gonna go private we're gonna change um controlling shareholders it's it's going from financial investors to another type of financial investors and, and then uh, a private setting. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a great operation because we're providing liquidity at, at, a very high, at, at a very satisfactory level to our present shareholders. And I think um, we, we have North American expansion plans and a private setting is, is probably a good one to undertake that sort of expansion at this, at this moment. So uh, I would say uh, timely and, um, and, and very good for current shareholders. Now, as far as the, the strategy going forward, it's um, more of the same, really. Um, but COVID has vindicated, really, our beliefs and our, our, our directions um, instead of having us thinking we should change paths. So external growth will continue. We, we operate in in very fragmented market. In in Canada, more than half of optical stores are still independently owned, mm -hmm. and therefore we still have a lot of runway um, in consolidating the market. And we entered um, the U the US in in March uh, 2020. We've we've already started expanding there beyond our first acquisition, uh, and we'll we'll do a lot of consolidation there as well in years to come. And then um, we have strong organic growth uh, project because, uh, as I explained, the motivation to increase the company in size was to generate investment capacity in technology. Mm. We have invested, we have deployed the technology, and this will continue to really change the customer journey uh, in, in, our, in our stores. Uh, we're looking at digitalizing every step of the journey, uh, except the medical part. Uh, and we are looking at optimizing the, the time in store. So whichever step of the journey the customer will, will choose to experience in store, uh, will will optimize that, will make it shorter, mm -hmm. and will make it more interesting, more entertaining. Um, 
And geographically, uh, we are very likely to be North American in, in the next four years. Um, but if, if there is an opportunity to go to pass beyond our shores, we'll, we'll obviously um, look at it and take it up. Right, right. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that you play mostly, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so to speak, at the luxury end versus the value end. Is that a fair statement? And is that how you're seeing the, the future as well? I think we're operating across the market spectrum except in the discount value segment. Okay. Um, our, our optician uh, business units operate in the core markets. Our optometry business units in the in the higher segments, and we have been a consolidator of the very high end segment, mm. uh, both in Canada and in the U.S. And very high end means things um, b- beyond designer brand. We, we're talking jewelry or very rare items. So let's say Cartier and up. Um, mm. and, and that's the segment we entered the U.S. with. Uh, that's the segment we're expanding in the U.S., but we, we're getting ready to uh, play in the other segments of the U.S. markets as well. Interesting. But, but the value end, that's not for you. You're going to play in different places. That's right. Okay, cool. All right, well, listen, last question for you. Thanks. You've been very generous with, with your time. Uh, for your fellow retailers listening, not not optical, uh, any kind of retailer, do you have any advice of things? And I, I frame this sometimes in two starts and one stop. Things that they might want to start doing, and things like you, you know, we talked about leaving things behind that they might want to stop doing. And and what would be your advice to the listeners? Oh, I, I really not want to give advice. I, I, I feel I'm putting you on the spot. I'm putting you yeah, on the spot. I, I feel that's terribly presumptuous to, to do, but, and, and I'm usually the one seeking advice. But, <laughs> and, and especially, I, I see optical as, you know, a life of, of, of privilege, really, operating in a, in a segment which is, which is essential and which is demographic driven. But um, maybe ju- just humble takeaways from, uh, from the past year. Um, I would say two two things really help helped us through. Uh, one is is crystal clarity on on a couple of things on 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 the purpose of of the company, what we actually do for society. Mm. Um, per, clarity of mind, um, I, and and we discussed that briefly. Um, it, it was made very clear inside the company what was possible and and what was not. Um, clarity with the team and 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 the customers. And the, the second thing that really Help, help us through was there is a, a very strong love for our people and, and really genuine concern, um, ambition, hope for them. Um, because in medical, in retail and in manufacturing, which is the three fields we employ people in, teams are, are really the skills, but it's also the largest expense. Right. Um, but for us, it's not an hourly rate in, in an income statement. We, we, we feel that who we pick, uh, who we attract, who we retain, obviously, um, who, who we promote is really our most valuable assets. And all, a, a lot of um, resource went to protecting and keeping that most valuable assets throughout the, the shutdown and the restart, which was not any easier than the shutdown actually. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, um, 
and for the, the third one, you ask for a stop. Um, <laughs> and nothing groundbreaking, I would say. Uh, I, I would say, look, th- there were a few weeks of re- really deep worry about about the future. You know, how much cash do we have? How long we're gonna we're gonna be able to hold on and so forth. And I would say we were fortunate to go into the shutdown in a fairly strong position. Um, so. If anybody would ask, I would say, you know, just do not engage or, or stop engaging in anything that does not produce a healthy cash flow. Because if we had not gone into that shutdown, into that crisis in a strong financial position, we would not have been able to protect our people. Uh, we would have lost some of that and we basically would have lost our most valuable assets. We, we're a retailer. It's it's a fairly technical um, retail hours yeah. and and our people are, are, are really everything um, so yeah I, w- I, w- I would say watch profitability like a hawk um, <laughs> Cash no, no, nobody Cash wants to be left you know gasping for equity at a, at an inopportune time yeah you never you know if nothing else we know that uh, you can't predict the future so just prepare for uncertainty right um, yes a, a good sure. dose of that <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Antoine, thank you so much for, for spending time with The Voice of Retail. It's been great to un- learn more about you and more about the business and, and how you're thinking about it. I wish you much continued success. And uh, once again, thanks for joining me. Thank you so so very much. And thank you for in- your interest in, uh, in, your, in the company. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Voice of Retail. Be sure and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy podcasts so you don't miss out on the latest episodes, industry news, and insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating review, as it really helps us grow so that we continue to get amazing guests onto the show. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc., and if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Until next time, stay safe, have a great week.